You are listening to episode 15 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 40 Jet System, 2372, March 24th I sat on the bridge for what was left of the afternoon. Mr. Paul was very helpful in fine-tuning my rough calculations, and even Mr. Ricks offered some suggestions that made the outcome slightly better. Not good enough, but better. At 1745, Mr. Hill came up to the bridge to relieve the watch, but I forestalled him. Mr. Paul, if you and Mr. Schubert would hold the bridge for a few more ticks, I need to go let everybody else know what's going on. Mr. Paul was subdued, but smiled. Certainly, Skipper. Mr. Hill was looking around confused, and then he saw the new plot on the drop-down. Let's go spread the glad tidings, Mr. Hill. He followed me down to the mess deck, and we found everybody but Chief Gearhart already there and waiting for dinner mess to begin. Every head turned as we entered, and the look on my face was apparently enough to halt the conversation. Mr. Wyatt, who was setting out dishes on the serving counter, noticed and stopped his bustling. I reached for my tablet to bip the chief when she came skidding around the corner and into the mess deck. I took a deep breath and then began. Folks, it's crazy. I was reminded of just how crazy it was this afternoon, and I apologize for getting everybody's hopes up. We aren't going to make it to port on time. There was a moment of stunned disbelief as everybody but the chief responded to the news. I picked up the portable keyboard and routed the course plot from the bridge onto the repeater so that they could all see it. All eyes turned to look at it. A green snake ran around the oncoming planet, but skirted it at a safe distance. Regulations called for a minimum of three diameters when passing near a large-body astronomical artifact. We'd be skirting it at four, and well within safety margins. The snake was green all the way. I triggered the playback, and when the ship's icon met the orbital at the end of the animation, the date at the top said, April 12th, 0300. Nobody offered any comment, so I filled it in. We're too close to miss it altogether at this point, so the best course is to use what we can of it, but stay a good distance out. Mr. Paul has given us a good balance between slingshot and getting below the plane of the ecliptic and into nice clear wind. It's going to cost us the two days we need. That means we'll miss the priority and sacrifice the cargo. They're basically getting a free ride, and our shares will be, effectively, zero. The alternative carried a level of risk that we could just not accept. A few heartbeats went by before Miss Thomas spoke up. Do you think they did it on purpose, Skipper? I shook my head. No, I think it was just the luck of the draw on a razor-thin deck. If we'd jumped 2% long instead of 2% short, we'd be in the money. We didn't. It happens. Every jump has a chance of being off, and there's nothing you can really do about it. It's why we add margin errors to the jump on both ends. This one went the wrong way, and we're left holding the bag. Nobody had anything else to say. I looked around at them. They were all considering the plot with various degrees of disbelief and disappointment. I'm sorry, people. Really. I nodded to Mr. Hill, who followed me back up to the bridge where we did the needful just before 1800. It was a long watch. The drop-down tracked a shorter-range view of our course, showing the rapidly approaching planetoid. We were still going to be flying very close to it, but the margins of error were much bigger, and the possibility that we'd actually hit the rock or damage the ship in transit were negligible. 
At 23.45, Ms. Thomas and Mr. Schubert joined us on the bridge to relieve the watch. Chief Gearhart standing by an engineering skipper. Thank you, Ms. Thomas. I trust we won't need her for this, but it's good to know she's there if we need her. I sat at the engineering console on the bridge and fired up the engineering displays. The status showed green on all systems. There wasn't a lot of draw on the system as a whole. Sails were at near maximum, but this far out from the primary, there was little strain on them. The keel was likewise extended, but we weren't very far into the gravity well, so there was only moderate bite. As we got deeper, we'd be able to sail closer to the wind. We were still moving at a pretty good clip. The planetoid coming at us was moving faster, though, and the closing vector was a surprisingly large number. The chronometer clicked over, and the mass of the planetoid ahead of us began to show in the occlusion of the brighter objects behind it. The albedo of the surface wasn't high, and the light cast this far out from the primary was pretty low. Looking forward, the suddenly looming object was, for all the world, like a huge cloud blowing up ahead of us. Ms. Thomas sat at her console and looked out the armor glass ahead. Helm, you ready? Ready, sir. Course plot locked and ready for execution. She looked at me. Well, you're the O.D., Ms. Thomas, at your discretion. Thank you, Skipper. She turned to Mr. Schuward. Chooch, try not to hit the planet. No hitting the planet, I, sir. He was grinning. Helm, execute transit plan. Executing transit plan, I, sir. His hands were already on the handles, and the only real indicator was a slight twist of his wrists. Ahead of us, the darkened mass that had been about to slide by to our starboard side rotated around the forward view until it looked like we were going to fly directly under it. The sensation was uncanny. Intellectually, I knew that Mr. Schubert had just rolled the ship onto its back relative to the surface of the planetoid that was now growing visibly ahead of us. It was obvious that we were going to miss it, although four diameters seemed like it might be close enough to scratch the paint. I shuddered to think of what it might have looked like if we'd been shooting for half that distance or less. As it was, I found my jaw clenched as we bore down and the cloud grew from a circle of darkness to a grayish mass in the distance to a solid curved ceiling over our heads. At the helm, Mr. Schubert was grinning, his hands firm on the maneuvering handles as he guided us around. At ten diameters, there was a slight juttering in the ship, and I saw the load on the inertial dampers jump a bit. Mr. Schubert murmured softly, Easy, baby. Daddy's got you. The juttering didn't stop, but it did smooth out. At five diameters, Miss Thomas slapped a key and the sails dropped to standby. We were on a ballistic trajectory, but not anywhere near as extreme as the one we'd planned originally. We were flying a 45-metric kiloton rock through space, and Mr. Schubert looked elated. We coasted into the planetoid's gravity well, and the attraction between ship and planet started having an effect. It wasn't enough to be felt by the humans inside the vessel, but the gravitational force was enough to begin tugging the ship. At the prescribed time, the bow thrusters fired to slow us a bit, to give gravity a chance to pull us down toward it even faster. And shortly afterward, the heavy thrusters along the bottom of the ship kicked in to aid in that curving arch around. I watched the load on the inertial dampeners rise. It kept rising as our arch around the night sky became more extreme until suddenly we were out from under. The planetoid continued on its long, dark journey, imparting a small bit of its momentum to us as the change in velocity changed our vector and tossed us free again. By then, the forward port was open sky, and when I turned to look out the after windows, I could make out the curve of the planetoid falling away. At five diameters out, the sails came back online, and our plot showed us slightly below the plane of ecliptic and dropping. 
The course called for us to follow this line until we came to almost 10 degrees below the plain, and then we'd start the long climb down into the well. Well done, Mr. Schubert. Thank you, Skipper. I stood up and stretched. It had been a long, long day. Thank you, Miss Thomas. Carry on. She smiled sympathetically. Thank you, Captain. Sleep well. I think you earned it today. I chuckled, although there may have been more bitterness than humor in it. Thank you, Miss Thomas. Mr. Hill followed me off the bridge, and I headed for the cabin. I had planned to just crawl into bed and let the universe unfold without me for a bit. It was the start of my 24, and I didn't have to be back on watch until the next mid. It was approaching 0300 already, and I felt completely wrung out. When I stepped into the cabin, though, I only made it as far as the desk chair. I sat there with my hands flat on the surface and just felt numb. The port behind me drew me around, and down in the darkness ahead, the bright pinhead that was jet gleamed in the soft black. I watched it for a time and pictured the system's movements in my head as I imagined us flying under the surface of the system, sails wide and beating our way against the gale, moving ever closer to the point where the orbital would be when we got there. At 04.30, I dragged myself to bed and slept soundly. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 41, Jet System, 2372, March 30th. The slow climb into the well seemed particularly onerous after that. I think Mr. Paul may have felt almost as bad as I did, probably blamed himself for the short jump. The reality is you just can't predict it to a sufficient degree of accuracy. Sometimes jumps run a few points long, sometimes a few points short. We rolled the dice, took a chance, and this time we lost. It wouldn't have been critical if we'd not tried to get greedy and cut the run times too close. I won't say the life went out of the ship, but the spark of excitement was certainly sputtering. Mr. Hill and I were on the morning watch, and I was trying for the hundredth time to convince myself that I'd made the right decision. 
I was almost through with the overnight logs when Mr. Hill made a noise. Everything all right, Mr. Hill? We just took a gust on the port side, Skipper, a good one. I pulled up the system navigational reporting and saw no issued warnings. Nothing on SNR, Mr. Hill. It was just the one, apparently, but flux rates are up about 5% over the last half stand, Skipper. Flux rates are a measure of the solar wind. We always talked about it as if the star was actually putting out a breeze, but wind is a movement of gas on a planet. The solar wind is a plasma of atomic components that are ejected from the upper regions of a star. Flux rate measures the density of those particles and provides a kind of strength metric analogous to a wind gauge. Can we use it to get a little more speed, Mr. Hill? I'm working on it, Skipper. Can we have a little more sail? I pulled up the sail configurations, and we were running close to maximum. In the outer reaches of the system, we carried as much sail as we had most of the time because the wind density was so much weaker out that far. As we got closer to the primary, the wind would become much stronger, and we'd have to pull in area to maintain strength. So far, the field sensors were saying we had plenty of strength for the current flux density, but there wasn't really more sail to put up. I bipped the chief to the bridge, and she arrived almost immediately. We have got to stop meeting like this, Skipper. Mr. Wyatt's getting suspicious. Mr. Hill snorted a laugh, and I admit it hit me funny, too. Funny felt good after the few days we'd been through. Thank you, Chief. I'll take that under advisement. I beckoned her to look at the displays. We're getting increased flux rates out here. Mr. Hill reports they've gone up five points in the last half stand. Seven now, Skipper, and I think it's still climbing. The Chief's eyebrows shot up. I suspected we'd pick up some better quality wind off the ecliptic, but that seems like a lot. Seems it to me, too, Chief. The girls are all but maxed out here in terms of area, and we're still in the green on strength. Do we have another wee rag or two to hang off the mizzenmast? I'd like to take advantage of this if we can. I looked up at her. She was hanging over my shoulder looking at the display in front of me. I thought I remembered your saying something about a bit of reserve. I did indeed, Skipper. I did indeed. She crossed to the engineering station on the bridge and took a seat. She brought up the system configurations for power, sail, and keel. I saw her give a little extra kick to the fuse actors and siphon the extra power into keel and sail generators. She opened a maintenance display and unchecked a few settings there. Try it now, Skipper. Ease her up. I used my sail controls to boost the area, and the needle indicating sail size slipped right past the mark that indicated maximum sails on the display. Mr. Hill braced a bit. I knew there wasn't really any feedback from the controls, but his plot was reacting to the increased sail. The strength gauge was climbing, but was still short of the yellow. How's she handling, Mr. Hill? His focus was on his helm, but his face was alight. She's doing great, Skipper. That was a nice little kick in the pants there. Flux rates, Mr. Hill. Flux holding, steady now. About seven or eight points higher than we've been seeing. Smooth sailing, Skipper. I'm not getting any flutter. The chief made a few small adjustments to the keel generator. You've got a bit more bite on the keel, Mr. Hill. You might be able to use that as well. I looked over at her. She gave a little shrug. You can't let the girls have all the fun, Skipper. We can't keep it up too long, but as long as we're not stressing the systems on strength, there's a bit of advantage to be had here. See if she'll come another point or two into the wind, Mr. Hill. I got two points more now, Skipper. I think it's all we'll get. Two points in a million kilometers is a nice savings, Mr. Hill. We'll take it. I looked over to see the chief grinning back. That'll help a little, Skipper, and at least keep the suffering to a minimum. All gifts are gratefully accepted, Chief. 
How long can the girls keep this up? Eh, these flux rates, probably a couple days. After that, we'll need to pull back a bit. Depends on how much they overheat and how stable the flux. If we get much more, we're going to start running into field integrity issues and we'll have to reef up anyway. We should have these talks more often, Chief. Mr. Wyatt can tend his pies. She grinned and headed back to engineering. Let me just check on the girls and I'll see you at lunch, Skipper. I won't say I wasn't a little more hopeful. Getting a good wind this far out in the system when we were typically moving the slowest meant leverage on our arrival time. We weren't carrying anything like the velocity we would closer in, but it was a step in the right direction. Whether it would be enough to shave 26 stands from the total transit time, only time would tell. The rest of the watch went by pretty normally, given the circumstances. The higher-than-normal winds and the larger sails were giving Mr. Hill something more to do than he was used to. There was just enough turbulence in it to keep him on his toes, and the plot showed he was doing an excellent job in carving the line. Miss Thomas scampered up onto the bridge at 11.40 with a look of curiosity on her face. The chief has a very odd smile, Captain. You know anything about that? I nodded her over to the display and showed her what we were doing. She saw the gauges run off the end of the scales for sail and keel and gawked. I've never seen anything like that, Skipper. Me either, but apparently it's one of those little hidden functions on the generators. Normally we don't need more than we've got because we're operating in the inner system. Integrity winds over area there. I stood up and looked out the armor glass. Out here, we need as much area as we can get. But we need to be careful not to overstress the generators and burn one out. The governors make sense on the average run. We're sailing a fine line then, Skipper. Her face was taking on a smile as well. Anything I need to watch? Just keep an eye on sail integrity. If it starts to climb, reef up. The overrides are off, so be careful on how hard you drive it. It's too far to get out and push if something goes wrong. Mr. Schubert came up onto the bridge, and we relieved the watch at 11.45. As I left the bridge, I couldn't help but notice the beatific smile plastered across Mr. Schubert's face as he caressed the helm and the ship surged into the dark. Lunch was a nicely done casserole of beans and ground meat. Mr. Wyatt was still experimenting with curries and had developed a fine hand in the spice rack. I made a note to track down some of the more exotic when we got to Diurnia. With his awakening skills, I thought he might find them useful. The lunch mess was subdued, but obviously the word about the higher-than-normal flux rate had made its way through the crew. There were quiet, hopeful smiles around the mess as the meal progressed, and polite applause as Mr. Wyatt pulled out a simple tray of brownies and a gallon of vanilla ice cream for dessert. About halfway through the brownies, the chief sat upright on a bench and cocked her head as if listening. I didn't hear it at first, but then as the general hubbub died down, I caught the shift in sound as well. The ship sounded different. She jumped up from the table and raced for the engine room just as Ms. Thomas's voice came over the ship's announcer. Captain to the bridge? I ran. It probably wasn't dignified and certainly did little for assuring the crew, but I really wasn't thinking of appearances at the moment. One tick and what felt like several hundred heartbeats later, I was on the bridge. What have you got, Miss Thomas? Flux rate are 12 points above normal and climbing, Skipper. I've reefed up and we're down to 60% normal now. I'm still having trouble with integrity. I looked at the strain gauges and saw they were well up into the yellow and ticking up toward red. Well, with this level of flux, we shouldn't be seeing this kind of strain, Skipper. I glanced over to where the chief had left the engineering console fired up. The keel was still extended, and I slipped into the seat there just as the display showed the keel coming back into normal levels. The chief had beat me to it from engineering. Is that helping, Miss Thomas? 
She looked down at the telltales and nodded slowly. Yes, Skipper, I think it is. Integrity's coming back into nominal levels. How's she handling, Mr. Schubert? He was grinning like a madman. Thrilling, Skipper, thrilling. I snorted. Thrilling is just a heartbeat from terror, Mr. Schubert. Try to stay on this side of the line, if you please. Aye, aye, Skipper. I looked at the flux rate over his shoulder. They were a lot higher. Did this just blow up suddenly, Miss Thomas? Yes, Skipper. We were finishing up our lunch here, and the flux rate was sliding down the scale just ever so slowly. Then wham! In a matter of less than a tick, it jumped from around six to around twelve. It was like we hit a wall. I looked at the ship's estimated velocity and was impressed with the speed. Ride it as long as you can, Miss Thomas. We may see these cans delivered yet. My eye, Skipper, will do our best. I know you will, Miss Thomas. I met the chief in the passage outside the mess deck. She was just coming up from engineering as I was headed down from the bridge. She was chuckling. That's why we have the governors in place, Skipper. Any damage to the ship, chief? She shook her head. Nah, she's rugged, and we got to it right away. Oh, the wind come up? I nodded. Yeah, we're about 12 points above average now, and it came up pretty sudden. The chief's eyes widened with surprise. Stiff wind for these parts. Miss Thomas did the right thing by dropping the sails like that, but it was the extra drag from the keel that was causing the integrity issues. She had no way of knowing. Are the governors back in place? Yes, Skipper. I doubt we'll need them much now. You think this is just the effect of a more laminar flow, Chief? She screwed up her mouth in concentration. Not likely, Captain. The transition would be smoother. I'd guess it's a solar storm. We just came through the gust front. That's what I think, too, but I needed a reality check. Shall we finish dessert? Oh, lovely idea, Captain. She was smiling happily as we entered the mess deck, and four anxious faces turned in our direction. I held up a hand. It's okay. Wind came up. We're making exceptional time. We were pushing the integrity limits. Nothing to be alarmed about. They looked at each other, and a general rumble of relief went around the room. As for me, I was wondering how long the storm would last and whether or not we'd find another more virulent gust. Chapter 42, Jet System, 2372, April 6th. The storm blew out by late in the day on the 3rd. We'd had to reef down to as little as 20% on the sails in order to maintain integrity, but the good news was that we had a substantial boost in our velocity. Mr. Paul was running a continuous update on arrival time, and after watching the date go from early on the day of April 12th to early in the day of April 11th, there was some hope in the ship that we'd carve enough off it to make it. Then the storm blew past, and we were back on a normal model for our estimated course and speed. We only needed to dock by the end of the day on April 10th to make the deadline. The current projection showed us four stands short. We'd be there. The tug would be pushing us in. But we'd miss by a hair unless we could pull a few more stands out of the course. It wasn't really likely, but we did have hope. Mr. Paul had the morning duty and managed to pick off the inner markers. We roused ourselves collectively to pay attention. We'd had the outer markers for days, but the cargo list was nondescript and uninspiring after our experience on Welliver. Of course, the possibility that all that excitement was now a 45-metric kiloton liability strapped to our stern was undoubtedly a contributing factor to the mix. The temptation for me was to hide in the cabin when not on watch. It killed me to see the crew so dejected. We were so close. If I'd only risked a little more, could we have made it? We got lucky with the storm, and it let us get even that much more tantalized by the date. 
and what we were going to miss. I fought my temptation and went to the mess deck to sit with the rest of the crew. We were all in the same boat. If we were going to be miserable, we'd be miserable together. After lunch, I hung around the mess deck to talk to Mr. Ricks and Mr. Wyatt about morale and what we might do once we got the jet. How about movies? Mr. Wyatt was leaning against the deep sink and looking at the big repeater screen over my head. Mr. Ricks perked up. Can we get the equipment, sir? He was looking back and forth between Mr. Wyatt and me. Mr. Wyatt nodded at the repeater behind me. We've got the screen. We just need a cube player. Chief Gearhart came into the mess deck in time to hear that. We already have it, Mr. Wyatt. She crossed to the unit on the bulkhead and pointed to a spot on the lower left edge. Socket's right there. This is really just an entertainment screen that's got the interface to be used as a console repeater built into it. Plug in a cube, it'll play. I spun in my seat and leaned back against the table to consider it. When I first made the run out from Port Newmar to Diurnia, the packet had movie nights after mess. As a passenger, I found it to be quite diverting of an evening. Mr. Wyatt piped up. I can lay in some popcorn when we get to Jet. Where do we get the movies? Mr. Ricks asked. I mean, I have some that are loaded on my personal player. He colored slightly. I doubt they'd be of general interest. I looked around at them. Any cinema fans in the crew? I got shrugs back. Well, let's take it under advisement. Some opportunity will present itself, I'm sure. My tablet bipped, and the message was from Ms. Thomas on the bridge. This is a good idea. Do we have a chess set, a bridge deck, any pinochle players? That's a nice table. Can we play games on it? I let that set for a heartbeat to distract them a bit. If you'll excuse me, I need to go check on something. I left the mess deck in good order. After abandoning all decorum and bolting before, I vowed never to scare the crew that badly again, so I forced myself to a sedate jog up the ladders and onto the bridge. What do you got, Miss Thomas? She turned as I popped up onto the bridge, and she pointed to her screen where I could see a red flashing blob, and I got a sinking feeling. Mayday, Skipper. We have a problem. I sighed. It never rains, but it pours. Mayday is the signal call for ships in distress. It was an old, old signal that had followed mankind off old earth and into the stars. My mother used to celebrate May Day as a kind of holiday of a more fecund nature, but this was apparently a corruption of the French phrase meaning help me. The sarcastic voice out of Fisher has an environmental issue. Her scrubbers are all offline with bad cartridges and 28 people aboard. It's a fast packet. It looks like another Damien Hull. I frowned. That was sloppy. No spares. She shrugged. Report says all spares are contaminated. CO2 is building up and they can't get rid of it. And we're the only ship in range. We're the closest, but can we help them? Well, let's find out. Call the chief up, would you, Miss Thomas? I'm right behind you, Skipper. I turned and saw she'd followed me up to the bridge. She shrugged a little apologetically. I had a feeling when you bailed on the movie discussion. You heard, Chief? She shrugged. Enough. Damien's have good scrubbers. We use cartridge-based scrubbers, too, but our cartridges aren't interchangeable. She turned to Miss Thomas. Did you say 28 people aboard? Yeah, that's what's on the Mayday message, Chief. No wonder they have scrubber problems. I thought they were only rated for a crew of four and 16 passengers. Can we help them, Chief? If we can get there before they all suffocate, probably we can do something. We got more than enough environmental capacity to handle them all, although where we'd stack them... That's another question. I turned back to Miss Thomas. Are we the nearest responder? 
We'll need to get Mr. Paul to tell us that, Skipper. We're on parallel tracks, but I don't know if anybody else is on a closing course with us. They might be able to reach her sooner. No other ship has responded yet. Page Mr. Paul to the bridge, please, Miss Thomas. She rang his stateroom directly. Sorry, Mr. Paul, but could you come up to the bridge? We need your help here. She hung up, and less than a tick later, Mr. Paul belted up the ladder, ship suit half-zipped and with a serious case of I just woke up on his face. Miss Thomas filled him in on the situation, and he sat down to plot while I brought up the long-range scanners. Six stands, plus or minus, Skipper, less if they can heave two. I found the ship on long range. There didn't seem to be anybody else in the immediate vicinity. Can you raise them on a voice channel, Mr. Paul? I think I'd like to chat them up. I can try, Skipper. He burrowed into his console, and a few ticks later he looked up at me. I have Captain Allison on the line, Skipper. On the speaker, if you please, Mr. Paul. Circuit is live now, Skipper. He snapped a key down. Captain Allison? Captain Ishmael Huang of the Agamemnon here. How can we help? A woman's voice came from the overhead speakers. Thank you, Captain Wong. We've got a ripe mess here with too many lungs and not enough scrubbers. Anything you can do to help with one or the other, or both, would be greatly appreciated. We're at least six stands behind you, Captain. Can you last that long? We're good for maybe ten stands more. She coughed a little, and when her voice returned, I could hear the stress in it. We're getting people into suits now to try to relieve the load on the scrubbers. It might buy us some time. Is your engineering officer available, Captain? Chief Gearhart is with me on the bridge. It might be useful if they could chat for a moment. One tick, Captain. I'll get him. The circuit went quiet for a moment. Then a man's voice came on. Chief Green here. If the captain's voice was carrying a bit of stress, the chief's was packed in a can and mounted on his back. I nodded at Chief Gearhart, and the two engineers talked technical for a bit while I conversed with Mr. Paul over matching course and speed. They came to a break point, and she nodded to me that she was done. Captain Allison, I've been talking to our astrogator, and we can match velocities much quicker if you can heave to and give us a chance to run up behind you. We can probably be there in a couple of stands. Of course, Captain Wong. We'll open a telemetry channel now and coordinate the rendezvous. There was a catch in her voice. Thank you, Captain. Don't thank me yet, Skipper, but I'll take a rain check when we all get to the orbital. Done and done, Captain. Sarcastic voice out. Agamemnon out. Circuit is closed, Captain. Mr. Paul turned to me. So you think they're pirates, Skipper? Pirates, Mr. Paul. Yes, Skipper. Running the bad scrubbers trick to get us to stop. Then they hijack us, kill the men, rape the women, and steal the cargo. I looked at Chief Gearhart, who shrugged in return. That's a fair question, Skipper. You think they'd hijack a cargo of kitty litter, Mr. Paul? Well, the ship would be worth something, even if it's just parts. I'm not sure we live in the same universe, Mr. Paul. What do you think, Chief? Were they good enough actors to make you believe they were really in trouble? She ran both hands over her hair and scratched her fingers along the scalp. Well, the Chief talked a good story. It made sense and hung together. But then it would if it were fake. He sounded worried enough, and so did the captain. They did put it out on a public mayday, and anybody could have answered, including a patrol craft. They're on an inbound track, so it's not like they've been lurking out here in wait, unless they've been really clever, which I suppose they might be. She was thinking out loud for Mr. Paul's benefit as much as mine, I think. It's a dangerous universe, Captain. He could be right. They might be pirates. Do you think so, Chief? No, but I could be wrong too, Captain. Okay. Then I think I know how to handle it. I turned to Mr. Paul. 
Please make a least-time rendezvous with a sarcastic voice. We'll use the emergency caller and link up nose-to-nose. We can use the locks to keep the bad air out of our ship and let a few people at a time through. First few should tell the tale. Does that meet with your approval, Mr. Poe? Well, yes, Captain. I think that would be secure enough. Chief? It's a good idea, actually. If we can get them off the ship and give their scrubbers a chance to recover, we may be able to get them stable enough to finish on their own. Can our scrubbers handle the load? Oh, at least that number, Captain. I've got half our scrubbers shut down now at the moment to save power. Can the girls handle the extra mass, Chief? Oh, sure. We won't be breaking any speed records, but we'll be moving inward. I took one more wistful glance at the priority delivery plot on the drop-down above my head. Well, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. At least it won't be a total loss. Why's that, Captain? Mr. Paul was looking up. If we're not going to make any money, Mr. Paul, the least we can do is save their lives on the way. Well, unless they're pirates, Skipper. True, but maybe we'll capture them and there'll be a reward, Mr. Paul. Try to look on the bright side. Oh, excellent point, Captain. That telemetry channel, Mr. Paul? Oh, yes, Skipper. We're already linked and adjusting courses now. The new plot should be on the helm as we speak. Ms. Thomas turned to Mr. Schubert. Helm, new course loaded, ready for execution, sir. Execute new course, Helm. Execute new course, aye, aye, sir. I watched for a bit as we shifted course and dropped our sails to begin matching velocity with the crippled ship. Well, I should go tell Mr. Wyatt we'll be having guests for dinner. Chief Gearhart followed me off the bridge. When we got to officer country, I turned to look at her over my shoulder. You don't really think they're pirates, do you? She grinned. No, I don't. We're too close in, and the story was just ragged enough to be real. She paused and rubbed one finger along her nose. He did raise a good point, though. Just because I've never heard of a ship being successfully hijacked doesn't mean there hasn't been one. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, eh, Chief? That's what my daddy used to say, Captain. We'd made it down at the mess deck by then, and I headed in to share the news with Mr. Wyatt while the Chief headed into engineering to crank up our extra scrubber capacity. We were going to need it. Thanks for listening to Captain Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is the mason's apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the golden age, visit www.solarclipper.com. (laughs) 